Well, again, it's so good to be able to worship with you today, and if you're visiting with us, we hope that uh, you have felt as if you are a guest, because that's exactly the way we view you today, and we're blessed to have you with us. I also want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. It's great to have you join us online, but if you live in the area, we would love to have you join us in person as we come together as the body uh, to worship our Lord and Savior. Well, we're in week four of our series called Bloom Where Planted, a series from the Old Testament book of Daniel. So turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter number four this morning. We're going to cover a lot of ground, a lot of text. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles with you, turn to chapter four. While you're finding that in your Bibles, as I was studying this and thinking about this, my mind went back. I was reading a story that actually reminded me of it, but it was the summer of 1982. Some of you weren't even born yet, but summer of 1982 was the summer between my junior high years and my high school years. I was... Uh, Excited but extremely nervous to be entering my first year at that huge Conway High School campus that was there. It was intimidating just the size of the campus. Uh, but what was also intimidating to me was the stories that I heard that those coming up from junior high going into high school, that when they got to high school, that the initiation for being there was they would take you and throw you in a dumpster or a trash can uh, there on the campus, uh, and they would either do that or, or in addition to, they would actually hold you down and whip you with a belt. And uh, what I come to find out when I got there was that both of those things were true. I ended up in a dumpster and I got whipped with a belt. Uh, and I was just thinking, you know, a lot of things we did back then when we were kids, you can't get away with anymore. You would uh, get arrested for a lot of those things. But that summer, it seemed like nothing really was going right for me. Uh, when I was a teenager, I mowed yards to make money. And uh, I worked for a, a fella, and, and we basically had contracted with a real estate agent in Conway. Some of you remember uh, Dick Longing, Longing Real Estate, and we mowed all of his houses that he had for sale and rental, rental property that he had uh, along with some other yards, and I uh, did that for several years just trying to make money. Uh, made $5 an hour mowing yards, which was awesome money for a teenager back in 1982, but I had to make that money in order to pay entry fees for the rodeos. And that year, uh, during that summer, I broke my arm uh, trying to ride a big old Brahma bull named Sandy. I still remember Sandy. Uh, I know that some of you think that that's an insane uh, thing to do. And now at my age, I would totally agree uh, with you. But not only was it devastating that I had broke my arm, which put me out of work because you can't hardly mow a yard with a push mower with one hand or run a weed eater, 
It was probably the most, the most devastating thing that happened that summer, and some of you will remember this well and can relate. It was Rocky Three. And for you younger ones, Rocky was a movie about a boxer named Rocky Balboa. Uh, he was a working class guy that uh, was a boxer and he had advanced and he had become the world heavyweight boxing champion uh, played by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, and to begin this third movie, what was going on was Rocky had achieved this greatness. He uh, found himself in a situation where he felt like he had made it, had the world by the tail. He was rich and he was famous beyond his wildest dreams that he could have ever had. And while that's Probably most of our human nature is to want to be successful and rich and possibly famous. It was the downfall of Rocky. He became lazy. He became content. He became overconfident. And it was then that he faced another fighter who was strong, determined, arrogant, and intimidating. Anybody remember his name? Clubber Lane, played by Mr. T, all right? And because of Rocky's lack of training and overconfidence, those of you that remember know he got knocked out in the second round by Clubber Lane, and his life begins to unravel. And worst of all, Mick died, right? And even though you may not care much about that, that illustrates a tragic truth for all of humanity today, and it's this. Success can be fatal. Contentment can be fatal. Being comfortable can be fatal. And that's exactly what we're going to see here this morning in the fourth chapter of, of Daniel. And what we've seen up to this point is... Uh, we've seen King Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, you know, an important part of the story that we've seen so far. He's had several encounters with God, with the glory of God. He has seen the power of God on display throughout these first three chapters that we've covered. And each time it seems as if God is getting his attention to some degree... And we see that King Nebuchadnezzar, throughout these first three chapters, he even proclaims at various times after seeing the power of God and witnessing what he's witnessed, he proclaims that God is truly the God of all gods. And he makes the statement that he is also Lord of the kings. And as chapter 4 begins here, it seems like the king is close to becoming a dedicated follower of God, uh, that he's close to changing his ways and abandoning his worship of these other little g-gods that we've been seeing. And I want to pick it up this morning at verse 2 here in chapter 4. Matter of fact, this chapter is written 
by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. A pagan king writes this chapter that we find in our Bibles today. And he says this, he says, It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs! How mighty are His wonders! His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And as you read this, and if you stop right here, he sounds like someone who is all about God. He's seen God. He's had an experience with God. He's not afraid to talk about God. But like we saw last week, oh, how soon we forget. Some of you may have been that way at one time. You may have had an experience to where you saw God and you felt God and you got a glimpse of God and His power and His glory and you felt Him move upon you and you knew that He was the God of gods. And at one time you were all about that. You were all about God, and you were not afraid to talk about God. You were not afraid to take a stand for God and to live for God. But something happened. And verse 4, I believe, is critically important to this story, and I pray that it will speak to the hearts of some that are here today and maybe listening online. But verse 4, the king writes this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Now don't miss what he says here uh, about himself. He says, I was at home in my palace. I was was at home there in in my showcase. the, the, The place that I had built that... People would pass by and they would see my my awesome home and they would admire it. Not only would they admire it, but they would also be jealous of it. I was at home there. And in his lavish surroundings and home, he says, and I was content and prosperous. And if you're here today and you're content... Or maybe here today, worse yet, and you're content and prosperous, I would encourage you to pay close attention to what God is going to show us here in His Holy Word today. Because here's the deal, like some of you, I've been there. I've been to a place of contentment and prosperity. And just like with the king, I had to learn the hard way that success can be fatal. And here in chapter 4, God is about to deliver the knockout blow to this rich and, and famous king, and he would be humbled. And for the sake of time today, I'm not going to read you the entire chapter, the entire text, but I'm going to summarize most of, uh, of what happens here. But the king writes here in this chapter that he's had another dream, and it's a scary dream. And so he calls again the the wise men of Babylon to come to uh, the palace there and he asks them to interpret what this dream means that he has had. But none of them can do it. And so he recalls and he remembers 
the story that we heard a few weeks ago, and he calls in Daniel, who he has named Belshazzar, who is named after the king's god, a little g-god, and he calls in Belshazzar, and he asks him to interpret the dream. And he begins to share with Daniel what it was that he dreamed about, what he saw in this dream. And he says that he saw this really tall tree. It was this awesome tree, and it was so big and so awesome that everyone on the earth could see this tree from wherever they were. And he said, not only was it a beautiful tree, but he told Daniel, he said, this tree had enough fruit on it for everyone. And not just for everyone, but every creature. And he said, Daniel, in my dream, while I was admiring this tree, a messenger came from heaven and said, cut it down and strip it bare and scatter its fruit. And so let's pick it up there this morning as he's describing this to Daniel in verse 15 now. He said, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal. Till seven times or seven years passed by for him. Verse 17, the Holy One declares the verdict. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth. And so he tells Daniel about what he has seen and what he has heard here. And he asks Daniel to interpret this dream. And Daniel is, if you read it, you can tell that Daniel is reluctant to interpret it and tell the king what the meaning is is of, of this dream. Because here's the deal, Daniel has grown to like the king after all of these years. All right. Now, he didn't approve of the king's lifestyle. He didn't approve of the fact that the king was worshiping these other gods. But as a person, Daniel had grown to liking. And I think it's fair to ask in thinking about that this morning to ask this question. Do you like the Babylonians that you're living among? You see, Daniel had been planted in this place and in this situation and he had grown to like Some of the people that he encountered there and built relationships with. We saw a few weeks ago that Daniel hadn't chosen his fate to live in this sinful place and this evil place, but he was determined to bloom where he had been planted because the prophet Jeremiah had told the people, you know, you're going to be exiled from your homes into this vile and evil nation of Babylon. And he said, but here's the deal, when, when you get planted there, when you get uprooted and you find yourself there in this place surrounded with evil and this worship to all these other gods, he said, here's what you must do when you find yourself planted there. He said, you must infiltrate that place and influence them 
with our God. With the power and the glory of our God. You build your homes there. You make relationships there. And you bring your God and you influence those around you. And so that's what Daniel does. He goes. He didn't choose it. But this is where he is. And so he makes his home there. He builds relationships with the people around him. And although he didn't agree with their behavior, he didn't agree with their religious practices, I don't say this, but I expect that he probably didn't agree with the way they voted. (laughs) Don't miss this. He cared about them as human beings. He cared about them as God's creation. He saw them as such. He saw them as someone who was made also in the image of God. And he cared about them. And friends, you and I today are living among people that we don't agree with. We're living among people that we don't accept their lifestyles and we don't condone their behavior. But do you care about them? Do you care about them? Because here's the deal. Jesus went to that cross for every single human being that would ever be created. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. No, they may not act like us. They may have different lifestyles. They may have different views. But do you care about them? Do you like them? And you know the people that I'm talking about. It's those neighbors that you've got that has those offensive political signs in their yards, right? Huh? And you've even told your wife, you know what, I'm, I'm in, a, in, a mine, uh, in the middle of the night to go and take them signs down. Or maybe it's those people that you see on Facebook that make offensive posts. And when you read them and when you see them, you merely think of them as political opponents. Or maybe even you view them as the enemy. The folks as followers of Christ, we've been called to genuinely care about those people and pray for them. Because the reason they don't act like us, the reason they don't worship who we worship and they have different lifestyle than we believe they should have is because they've not yet seen the power and the glory of God. And He alone can change them. And so we should care about those around us where you and I have been planted. And Daniel likes the king. And so, reluctantly, he interprets the dream, and he tells him this, down in verse 22. He said, Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown so large and enormous and massive until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. But king, because of your pride, 
you, like this tree, you're going to be cut down, stripped bare, and your fruit scattered. Verse 25, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by before Seven times will pass by before, I'm going to get it right in a minute. Lynette, will you come up and read this for me? Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. But look at verse 26, because the king has an option here, just like you do, just like we all do. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And Daniel pleads with the king to repent and turn his life over to God. Look at verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Can I say to you this morning... I would be pleased if you would accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. And here's the deal. Sadly, the king won't and the king don't. And so verse 29 says, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, admiring all that he had accomplished, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of who? My majesty. Verse 31 says, even as the words were spoken, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you in an instant. Verse 32, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times or seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Now don't miss this. God has given the king 12 months from this warning that Daniel had shared with him. He'd given him 12 months to repent. Actually, he'd given him a lot more than that, hadn't he? Because this was after three chapters that we've already seen of warnings and signs from God. Friends, pay attention to what happened here. Because after much time and much patience... With Nebuchadnezzar, the day came that God said, 
that's enough. Enough is enough. And I can just tell you from painful experience, only God knows what day that will be for you. And if you don't repent, expect it. Expect it to happen. Because there's a time coming where God says, I've warned, I've moved, spoken to you, my spirit has convicted you. And God will say, you have walked in disobedience long enough. And he'll send something to destroy your very foundation that will rock you to your core. And during those seven years, the mightiest king in the world was reduced to nothing more than an insane madman. Living in the wilderness like a wild animal, eating grass like a cow. And friends, we too are insane if we don't see the message in this for us today. Because this gives us a picture of what happens when we get content, comfortable, and viewing our kingdom as something that we have built, rebelling against God, and living in disobedience to Him. When we make our lives about us, when we make our lives all about us and about all that we've done and what we've built and what we have accomplished, we become insane. The Apostle Paul says it like this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And in all of our success, in all of our education and all of our accomplishments, we go insane. And so this story isn't just about Nebuchadnezzar today. It's about the whole human race. It's about you and, and it's about me. And friends, this all begins so subtly. subtly. But it begins when we fail to acknowledge that every good thing comes from God. Like with King Nebuchadnezzar where he says in verse 30, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built? Look at what I have built. Look at what I have done. By my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. We often think that we did all of this, but friends, ultimately, God is in charge of all of this. Every penny that you have, every breath that you take, every gift, everything that you have that is good comes from the throne of God. But yet we say, Oh, I've worked hard for everything I've got. I've worked hard for everything that I own. Look at what I have done. Look at where I came from to where I am now. 
But you are no self-made man or self-made woman here today. I want you to think about it. The biggest factors to your success, you had absolutely no control over. You had no control over what country that you would be born in. You could have been born in a third world country. Could you have built your self-made success and palaces there? You had no control over that. Where you would be born in a country where you could receive the kind of education that you received. You had no control over the people that would be placed around you that would influence you and inspire you to work hard and succeed. You didn't control that. You didn't control the genes that you were naturally given that gave you the talents and the abilities and, and the, 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 the ability to learn and apply that education and learning. You, you didn't have any control over that. None of us are self-made. Yes, you worked hard. I've worked hard. But we were only using the circumstances that we have been given by God. The health, the energy was all supplied to us by God. None of us are self-made anything. Everything in my life should include this footnote. This came from God. It was not my doing. This came from God. It was not my doing. And here's the deal. If anyone could say that they were a self-made man, it was Nebuchadnezzar. And he, of all people, think about it, probably felt very secure there in his palace. Probably felt very secure when he pulled out his phone and checked the balance on his bank account. Probably felt pretty good and pretty secure about his future. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling content. and Maybe feeling pretty good about yourself and your future. But oh, how quickly things can change. And I've seen it happen over and over again. In families where everything was going great and going good. And three little wor words rock their world you've got cancer over a year ago an invisible virus that none of us had even heard about before nearly shut down our entire society and our economy you can say what you want to about the pandemic you can politicize it you can doubt it Whatever you want to do, but I'm telling you, you could look at it and see how vulnerable we are as a great nation. How quickly it could crumble. How quickly the economy could crash. And our dollar not be worth any more than the paper that it's printed on. The builders of the Titanic famously boasted not even God could sink this ship. 
But then there was that iceberg. (laughs) And maybe today, maybe today you can walk out on your balcony, look over your empire, your portfolio, your future, and say, look at what I've built. Look at what I've done. And with one small word from the throne of God, in an instant, everything changes. And this pride all begins by failing to acknowledge that every good thing comes from God. So what's the cure? What do we do with that? What do, how, how do we fix that? How do we move from that way of thinking? Well, God's Spirit has to awaken us from our pride. And He's, he's been trying to do it. We've just not been paying attention. We've seen His displays of power. We've seen His displays of glory. We've seen how vulnerable we are, His Spirit has been trying to awaken us from our pride and from our egos. And I know in my own life, just like in our story today, God tried to open my eyes time and time and time again, but I wouldn't listen because like Nebuchadnezzar, I was insane. And so you can get to that point and humble yourself or you can wait for God to humble you because He will. And the reason He will is because He loves you that much that He will do whatever it takes to bring you to Him and to acknowledge that He is the Most High God. And so today, some of you hear the Spirit of God speaking to your soul, a voice calling you to turn your eyes toward Jesus. Look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Friends, that's the look of repentance right there. When we will turn our eyes upon Jesus... And all the things on earth grow strangely dim. And we focus on Him. We turn our eyes toward heaven. He says, and my sanity was restored. That's our God. That's what He does. Can I ask you today, is that happening to you right now? Do you hear His voice calling you, look up, look to heaven repent how much longer will he allow you to continue living the way that you are and Nebuchadnezzar's final statement is one of the most stunning statements of humility that I believe we find in the Bible in verse 34 he says then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Now the reason that this is so profound is this, because He is the King, and He was always viewed and viewed Himself as who? The Most High. 
He had always seen himself as the most high. The people around him viewed him as the most high. And when they would greet him, they would say, May the king live forever. But now what's he saying? Huh? Now he's saying that statement only belongs to God. We're only temporary. Right? Our kingdoms are like sandcastles that you build on the beach. Right? And don't flatter yourself by thinking that everybody's going to remember you when you're gone. <laughs> right? They're not. Mark Twain said, the world laments. The world laments you for an hour at your funeral, and it forgets you forever. So don't think so highly of yourself. I'm going to bust some of your bubbles this morning, but I've seen it happen. After your funeral, your family is going to gather together. They're going to gather up all the prized possessions that you spent a lifetime accumulating. And they're going to say this. What are we going to do with all this junk? Huh? They're going to hold up your clothes. And they're going to laugh and make fun of you for ever wearing that. I've got a garage full of my daddy's junk. You know, it's some, you, you just don't want to get rid of it, but what do you do with ten sets of golf clubs? Really? Sonny, I mean, did you need that many golf clubs? And I don't even know what to do with them. Prophet Isaiah says this on that final day. He says, listen, the wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. The arrogance of man will be brought low. And human pride will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the king says this in verse 37. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And that's it. That's the conversion story, the conversion testimony of the richest, most powerful, and evil king in ancient history. God is able to humble all those who walk in pride. And that included, by the grace of God, Steve Thrasher. What about you? Has he humbled you? Are you ready to listen? Because the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to enter eternity unhumbled. And so for God to wake you up through some tragedy... For God to rock your foundation to the core is nothing compared to facing the terror of His wrath on the day of judgment. And that brings us to the best part of this story. And that's Jesus. He is our one true King. He is the true King. And even though he lived his entire life in humility, 
at the end of his life, he had to suffer and be killed like some wild animal in the wilderness. But because of that, he can forgive us of our sins and restore us from our insanity. I don't know if you caught it or not, but in verse 26, there was a phrase there that said this, and you see it several times in this chapter. Leave the stump of the tree with its roots. Don't miss this. A tree that has been cut down, a stump that is left with its roots, can grow again. When Jesus died on the cross, He did that so that you and I could be forgiven and you and I could be restored so that we could grow again to be everything that we're supposed to be to be everything that he wants us to be if you let him if you let him and so now he's calling out to some of you in your insanity to look up to repent, to come to Him, to humble yourselves in surrender to the one true King, the Most High, and Lord over all. Are you ready? Because, friend, the pain you may be going through right now, He's not trying to punish you. He doesn't hate you. He's trying to wake you up. We often think that when we go through difficult times that God is somehow paying us back. That's not our God. He's not trying to pay you back. He's trying to get you back. He wants to restore you so that you can grow again and so that you can bloom where you've been planted. question is this, will you listen? Will you listen? Let's pray. God, I thank you today so much for this powerful, powerful message from your word. so much good here there's so much reality here there is so much to take away from just this small portion of text today that a pagan king wrote that's recorded in the bible and it's there for a reason today we're here for a reason we've been brought to daniel chapter 4 today for a reason only you know what that reason is. We've heard warning after warning after warning. God, we look around us and we know that this nation is ripe to be humbled. You will humble those who will not humble themselves. God, forgive us of our pride Forgive us of our ego. Forgive us of worshiping 
ourselves. And God, I pray today that there would be someone, if just one person in this room today, or just one person watching online today, would hear the plea of Daniel to repent and look to heaven to the Most High God and humble themselves, surrender their life, their will, their plan, acknowledging and understanding that everything that they have and everything that they don't have is a direct result of you being in control of all things. So God, I'm thanking you right now. First, for what you've done in my heart. I thank you for cutting me down when I saw myself as a big, strong, mighty, awesome tree. But you left the stump and the roots. And God, now I want to grow for your glory. And I pray that someone else here today would listen, hear your voice, and accept you come back to you. And so today I'm thanking you for what you're doing. And I'm also thanking you again for what you're going to do in the days ahead as we go from this place taking you with us, lifting you up as we bow and as we humble ourselves. Give us a love for our fellow man. Give us a love for the lost and a passion to show them love and grace and forgiveness. Help us not to view them as our enemy, but to view them as pre-Christians. Someone that doesn't know you yet, but someone that we have been challenged to go and seek out and share you with them. Give us your eyes. Give us your ears. God, most importantly, give us your heart. Thank you for loving us. I love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I love you all so very much. God bless you.